Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. You know what I mean by that? How important that would be. The good news about Jesus, he didn't wait all of his life to tell this one person. He was telling people all along the way. Some of you might make the commitment, you know, when I'm wheeled on that gurney into operation, operating room and I don't know that I'm going to come out of that heart surgery, I'm going to be telling that little attendant, that little orderly, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. I commend you for doing that. I had eye surgery this last a couple months ago and they were getting ready to kind of put me out, obviously, to do this. And while they getting ready to stick the stuff in me to kind of put me out, I said, do I need to count down from 10? You know, and I wanted them to say yes, so I could say, I'm going to do John 3.16. I wanted to say, for God's sake, you know, that kind of thing. And this person said, have you ever had any alcohol in your life? Have you ever had any of that kind of chemical stuff in your life that affected your chemistry and made you woozy? I said, I've never drunk. I've never got drunk. I've never had any alcohol, not nothing. And, and then they said, you know what? You won't even last a split second you'll be out because your body is so non-immune to this stuff right here. You're just going to go right out. As humorous as that is, I would pray that all of us wouldn't wait to the last person that we see to tell them about Christ because we don't know when that's going to be. I pray that every person we see, in some measure, we are laying the foundation or beginning the probe or trying to do something to orchestrate something to give them the gospel. I pray that would be the case with us. Let me give you the last phrase for today. And that's found in John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27. And this one has given some interpreters a little bit of a, a, a more difficult time. But I don't think it's a difficult passage at all if you study Christ and his relationship to his mother. It says, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. Now, that's interesting. He says, Behold your son. Some people would be saying, Well, the mother of Jesus is so incredibly important that what he was saying is, woman, look at me. Look at your son. Now, he looks at this other person and he says, now, behold your mother. So he's kind of transferring this whole thing off. There's a, there's a great deal of a problem with that. I do not believe he is saying, mother, look at me. I don't think that's how Jesus would operate. In fact, I really believe he was referring to the disciple. Now, the big question is, who is that disciple that was supposed to take over the, the care of the mother? I believe it was the writer of John. John. I believe that's who it was. Now, if you look at Christ, he doesn't refer to his mother as mother beginning at his ministry at the wedding of Cana. And so it seems like right at the beginning of his ministry from then on, he ceased to be the son of Mary, but became the savior for Mary, which is really huge. If you put this up against probably one of the the greatest so-called Christian religions in this world, they have a high value of Mary. Their feeling is you want to get God off your back, get God off your back, he's angry. So to do that, to get to God, you want to pray to him, you want to get your needs met, you really need to go through Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus is so close to God because that's God the Father and God the Son. And and Jesus is kind of angry too at times. So what you really need to do is to look at that person who is the most important person in their life and that would be the maternal figure, which would be Mama. 
So what you need to do is you've got to have a relationship with Mary. And it's going through Mary because Mary will go to Jesus. Jesus will go to the Father. And so all we want to do is to venerate Mary because Mary is so important. And God and Jesus would want us to do that. And one of the passages, look right here, this is what we do. The problem with that teaching is that it's nowhere stated in Scripture. In fact, it says there's only one mediator, one person between God and man. It's not Mary. Never been married. Never mentioned to be Mary. It always was Jesus Christ. So how we get to God is going to be through Christ. And the unique part about all of that is is that Jesus Christ and God is one. How really critical is that? Now stay with me with this because this gets really interesting. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, you got the Roman soldiers over here betting on his garments. You have some scattered out disciples. I don't know how far they went, but it said they all fled. I do think there were a couple that are nearby, but I don't know that they were all in earshot except one. One was John. There were five people at the bottom of the cross that was listening to Jesus say these things. And here's who they are so that you might have a better understanding. First of all would be John. We have already talked about him. The other is Mary, the mother of Jesus. We brought that into the context. The other would be her sister, possibly Salome. Then it would be Mary, the wife of Clopas, possibly the sister-in-law. Mary Magdalene, which we studied this morning at our early service, her best friend. It's also interesting, out of all of these, how many of them were named Mary? And one of the meanings for the word Mary is bitterness. I don't want to go too much into that, but just think about that for a moment. So Jesus is now on the cross and he has a choice to make and that is what do I do with mom? Well, I could give mom to dad but Joseph is no longer mentioned in scripture so he is off the scene. I don't think he went into sin. I don't think he left Mary for another woman. I think he is dead. I think he's just deceased. He is not there. How he died, I don't really know. Even being dead, that's my greatest speculation. I I would park on that. Now, Then I would think, well, why doesn't he give it to his other brothers, the other family members? The siblings will say, why didn't he do that? From Scripture, we find that they still have not accepted Christ as their Savior yet. So why would I want to maybe entrust my mother and her well-being to someone who is still struggling with their own spirituality, who will not have the power of the Holy Spirit in them to give them a sustainable character until they trust Christ as Savior later on? So I I don't want to give my mama to them so who would be the best choice it would be John now John is interesting too because you have 12 disciples one's a rummy or one's a bad guy so you got 11 out of the 11 you have Peter James and John okay out of those three there's only one that said it was Jesus uh, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved which would be John John was there all the time so he's looking at everyone and the one that seemed to be the most relational emotional caring committed one out of the bunch was more than likely John Okay, so now he says, I'm going to give my mom to the very best. So he says, woman, watch this. I know this is a little sanctified imagination. I think he's hanging up there, blood's dripping off of him, sweat's dripping off of him, a lot of commotion going on. He's in a lot of pain. And in some measure, he is now getting the attention of the five people down there. And he speaks to his mom and he says, woman, behold your son. In some measure... He jerked his head toward John. And then he says, John, behold your mother. Now, the beauty, it seems, here in our culture in Hawaii is the unique relationship that adult children have to their aged parents. And often, dad goes, and then you have mama still alive, but still weak and at the end. And how much that the world surrounds mom and her comfort and care in the last years of her life. 
I don't think that's too far from Scripture as well, just something that you would do. And so he wanted to make sure his mom was well taken care of at that time. So what does that teach us? Here's what I think it teaches us. It teaches us that even in Jesus' death, he had to express selfless love. He wanted to make sure his mom was taken care of. So I don't know what you and I might be going through, but I pray that we don't forget our family and perhaps we don't take care, we don't forget our mother no matter how much pain we go through. What a lesson. Almighty God, caring about the world, knowing that there was an eternal concept, kingdom going on, and yet he looked at one woman, important woman, the physical woman in whose womb he came, from his, whose womb he's, he's come, and then he gives it to John, the loving, caring, emotional, relational, committed who knew Jesus and what Jesus would want the most in his mom. Woman, your son. John, your mother. Well, what should that teach us about you and me? Listen carefully. I believe that Jesus cares especially for our eternal soul. That's why he went to the cross to die so you could have eternal life, so you'd have an eternal relationship with him in heaven. I, I get that, you get that. I also believe that Jesus Christ is very concerned about your spiritual connection to the Lord, the spiritual part of your life until you die. Why do I believe that? Because while he said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, while he physically left, he sent the Holy Spirit. They're all one, so now you have the Godhead within you through the Spirit. So you're still vitally connected, and it's through that connection so you can understand Scripture and so you have a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord from a spiritual perspective. But I want to add one more. I don't believe, he says, I don't care what happens. I don't care if a tornado hits you. I don't care if you get run over by a bus. I just want to make sure you love me. I think he cares for you in your physical world as well. Now, some of you might say, well, if you really cared, I wouldn't get cancer. If you really cared, I'd have a better job. If you really did, well, some that we have in our life is a result of our own stupid choices and violation of not knowing the scriptures or knowing them and disregarding them. Some of that that we bring on ourselves, I get that. Some of it is not. But in all of it, God does care for you. And he does say, if you seek me with all your heart and you're righteous, he says, all these things will be added unto you. God does care for you. He cares for that house payment. Those of you that are without work right now, he cares for you. He cares for you that are without a mate, those of you that are single, those of you who are childless. He cares for you that's got a wayward son or a daughter, a teenager who didn't come home last night. He cares about your future. He cares about that water heater that seems to be acting up and you don't know how you're going to get it fixed. Every part of your life, he cares for you. Yes, his mother is important. I get that. You get that. But I think he was also giving us a model that even in his pain and his dying, he was caring for the real physical needs, the earthly needs of you and me. You've got to believe that. And maybe I could take this one step further. And just like in all that he was going through, he took care of, his mom. Maybe there are people in our life that we need to take care of as well. I'm going to give an illustration here, not because um, I want to get on a hobby horse. I want to share a, uh, an attitude issue I've had in the last 24 hours or so. Can I do that? Um, this last, um, about a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, we got an idea that we're going to get all these 
Easter baskets and uh, put, put stuff in them and take them to the homeless in Kakako Park. And I've been to Kakako a lot, and it's like its own community. It's its own culture. It's its own everything over there. I remember three or four years ago, we did the same thing, but we did a little bit more. We actually did a whole breakfast for them, brought them in, all this stuff. I, I watched the connection group did this as their outreach, and I appreciate our connection groups. They all are trying to be balanced in upreach, inreach, outreach, all that. And very few came, but we gave them what we could. And I'm thinking, all these people, you do this, and you're hoping they would come back for this morning's service. There was one there, but actually he didn't come to us. We came into his backyard because his little tent was right there where we were anyway. I think there were one or two that were way off in the distance, and I don't know how much they were engaged. So I struggle with those people in that community. I have a, a man in our church who has been homeless uh, for a number of years. He is now not homeless, living for the Lord full on, serving the Lord in many different ways. But he reminded me of his homeless days. He says, you know, those people, they have their own culture, their own language. They have their own little protection system. They do everything their own way. And I'm in this culture trying to help them. Nothing is wrong with that. Now, why am I telling you this? Is because when we want to take care of people, Sometimes it's not just to help them even if they don't receive it or if they receive it and don't say thank you. We, don't, we give them something with a hopefully that we can get them to the next level thing. Sometimes we just do it because that's what Jesus would do. It does something for us. It's something that we don't know that person we give it to whom we might actually reach in a special way. We don't know that. Only God does. Remember that thief on the cross? All up there? All of a sudden, he shifted over. That told me that God touched that person. There's no other way. Who would ever want to then put their entire eternal destiny and confidence in to somebody who's a wreck on the cross next to you unless God did something first in their heart? And I want you to know, we reach out to the people that sometimes cannot give back. That's part of taking care of one another here on this planet. I think there was someone else. I don't know if he's spiritual or not. I don't even know if he's a Christian. Listen to his last words. On March 29, 1912, British explorer Robert Falcon Scott, British explorer Robert Falcon Scott, his doomed expedition stranded in an Antarctic blizzard after failing to be the first to reach the South Pole, wrote the last words that he would ever write in his journal. And here's what he wrote. For God's sake... Look after our people. Whoever would pick up the book would understand that this person was still concerned for people. We have those that are involved in Salvation Army. You know William Booth. At the end of his life, all through his life, they'd have a yearly banquet to charge up all the soldiers. But at the end of his life, he was too weak, so they sent the heir apparent to him in his little tiny cottage and said, I know you can't come, but would you write something that we could read to our people again that might ignite them. He said, yes. So he got a little piece of paper in his very frail, scribbled out handwriting. Shaky as it was, he wrote a message to be read. He asked for an envelope, folded it as best as he could, slipped it in the envelope, licked it closed, and he gave it to the heir apparent. At the banquet, the food was over, testimonies were given, all the great things that were happening... The heir apparent then said, Commander Booth is not here, as you know, but he did have a message for us. And I'd like to read this to you now. So he opens up this envelope, tears it open, slides out this poorly folded letter. He opens it up and he 
kind of steps back because as he looks at it, there's only one word. And that one word was this, others. Others. Jesus on the cross, from beginning to end. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Others. Deep on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Others. Woman, your son. Disciple, your mother. Others. So my take-home point today is it's not about me, no matter what I go through. As long as we can, as long as I can, it's about others. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to give you a moment to maybe have a time of reflection upon the Lord. There are seven sayings of Christ. We just covered three, and my, how powerful they were. One was enough to convict me and give me a lifetime of change for the better if I just followed it. But there are seven. The first two dealt with helping people deal with their sin properly, being forgiven, being released from condemnation, given the hope of eternal life. And so while Jesus is no longer on the cross, maybe today though for just a moment, would you receive his words? As if he is talking to God the Father about you. And he wouldn't just simply say, forgive them for they do not what they're doing. Maybe right now hear it this way. Jesus is speaking to Father and he says, forgive you, that person, you, your name. Put your name in there. For you don't know what you're doing. None of us know the crime, the enormity of it, or the incredible, glorious victim that sin mauled on the cross. But he knows us, and he knows you so well that he is still willing, Father, forgive them. And then perhaps like that thief, you would say, I see Christ as sinless. He is perfect, and I am not. I'm a sinner. You might see him as the Savior, that you can't save yourself. He is the Savior. It's not where you trust your good works. It's not where you trust in Christ and yourself for your good works, because then that would make him a Savior and you a Savior. He, 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 he can't share that with anyone. He is the only Savior. It's you coming to him hopelessly lost, saying, nothing I can do myself, and I look to Christ as the Savior. And then could you believe with all of that that he just didn't die on the cross, but the glorious part is why we're here today celebrating in word and song his resurrection. He is alive. He is coming. He is coming again. He said he'd come the first time, and he did. Why would we ever doubt if he said he's going to come the second time? He did the first time. He's going to come the second time. But when he comes, it'll be in his kingdom. So would you simply maybe say this to the Lord? Lord, I know I've done many things wrong. I do not deserve to have eternal life. You are the Savior. You are the sinless one. You are the Savior. You are coming again. You are sovereign. And I'm fully and completely and only depending on you for your forgiveness that you want to so much grant to me. I receive that by faith. 
Now, my dear friends, I pray you're doing that. Would there be anyone in here today that's ready to accept the payment Christ made for you on the cross? He said all of this, and then he actually died. No Roman killed him with a sword. That happened after he was dead. He willed himself dead. He willed himself that sacrifice for you and for me. I'd like to pray for you. Now, I'm not going to have you come forward, although many churches do, and it's a wonderful act. There is a daughter here today in our midst who, 30 years ago, today, her mom trusted Christ. And that family has never been the same since. Maybe today is the day you trust Christ. And you and your family will never be the same. If you're doing that, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. When you raise your hand, I'm going to acknowledge it by simply saying thank you. I see that hand, and then I'll anonymously pray for you. I won't have you come forward, stand up, won't do anything that will embarrass you. Christianity begins with a private inside job between you and the Lord. After that, you can go public, but that's not a part of getting saved. That's something you do because you are saved. So is there anyone here today that's ready to receive the words of Christ when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That tells you that he has a forgiving spirit. And then when he said, you who believe in me as Savior, you who see me as sinless, you who knows you can't save yourself, you who know that I'm coming back again and that I am Lord. If that's you that he will see in paradise, it's because you trusted Christ. Did you trust Christ today? If you did, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. I'll do it in a moment. If you have questions and you'd like to talk to me privately, I'll linger as long as you want or put your name on that guest card in a contact way and I'll be glad to talk to you privately. If you're a woman, my sweet wife would be glad to chat with you. You can make a new friend with her. In fact, she's the one who led me to Christ and she loves you. And we have other ladies in this church who'd be glad to help you too. So, all right, heads bowed, eyes closed. Would there be anyone that here today trusted Christ already by placing their faith alone in Christ alone? And now you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? No one looking around, but put your hand up if it's today's the day. God bless you. Anyone else? All right. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we don't linger at these because it's in your timing. We want to thank you that going to heaven is not by works of righteousness, which we have done. We're just like that thief on the cross. We might not have outwardly stolen anything, but in our own hearts we coveted things that didn't belong to us and wish we had them for ourselves, whether they're objects or people. We know we're a sinner. We want to thank you that by our faith alone in you we can have that eternal life and that we will never lose it once we've truly trusted in you and that when we do sin we will be disciplined by you so that, Father, we can live that life that will be pleasing unto you. I pray for this one that has trusted you as Savior today, at least indicated so by raising their hand. I pray that they have, that they would get a Bible and read it and see that what it says in it is truth. I pray that they would talk to you in prayer and not little stilted, now and lay me down to sleep speeches out of some prayer book, but a real child to a parent conversation, trusted in you as the lover of their life. I pray that, Father, they would meet together with other believers in the faith that know Scripture correctly and accurately, They want to live it for you, full on. I pray that they would also tell others how to have eternal life by just simply starting by telling others that they have eternal life and it happened today because they trusted in you. 
Now, Father, our takeaway point is that we who know Christ as Savior, that we would be more forgiving to the people that are around us. We would release them back to you for you to deal in their life, that we don't have the right to be their judge or their executioner. So help us to love them. Help us, Father, to look at those that are condemned all around us, those who cannot give anything back, and to reach out to them in some measure to touch them spiritually. And then, Father, for those relationships in our life that we remember that they're so very important. And so, Father, that we would be so concerned that our own family and our own extended family knows you as Savior, that we will do all that we can to model godly Christianity but also to have a vocal, verbal Christianity and explain to them what Jesus has done for us on the cross and why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday like this. Now, Father, I ask you to wrap your ever-loving arms around these dear people, those that are part of our faith family, those that are coming and going. And Father, we just thank you for being our Father who art in heaven and hallowed be your name. In your precious name we pray, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.